I'd like to begin by asking us to uh, dive into the prefrontal lobes of the brain for a moment, if we're going to use the anatomical terms. Um, go into the spiritual eye for just a moment. And so close your eyes and feel for a moment that this is the moment when Master comes to us. This is the moment where we can experience meditation. Gaze into the light if you can see the light. Behind closed eyes. Or listen to the inner sounds if you can hear any of them. These are realities that are always present with us, but we have to learn to notice them. We have to learn to tune into them. Okay, you can open your eyes if you feel to. And this topic struck me at one point as a little bit of a trick question because how meditation transforms your life or my life, there's a word in there that, you know, it's one of these little catch-22s. If we take the word your out of the sentence, how meditation transforms life, when we have actually experienced meditation, we realize that it's no longer my life. It's no longer your life. It's no longer somebody else's life. It's life. It's God's life. And that identification or misidentification is critical. Shanti was speaking, and I want to segue onto what she said, which is actually a very helpful beginning. Um, she, she said, I, we realize in meditation, I am love. We use the term meditation quite frequently to speak of the practices, the process, the techniques that we follow. And that's good. That's fine. But we sh in fact, most of the time, that's really how we're referring to it, probably 80 or 90% of the time or even more. But the act, let's, we should remind ourselves and we should remember what Shanti was saying. And I'll just... Uh, sort of augmented a little bit here, that meditation ultimately is an experience. That experience can be the result of all those practices. They can help bring us to the experience, but meditation, properly speaking, is an actual experience. And as we know, it's the experience of God or one or more of the eight aspects of God, and love, of course, is one of those aspects but it struck me, I, some years ago I saw a bumper sticker. Actually, on Tuesday I was thinking about bumper stickers for some reason, and I was reminded, as the topic of karma, I was reminded of one of the cute bumper stickers I saw in Sacramento was, my karma ran over your dogma. And, you know, and it's sweet, and it's sort of cute, and there's actually a certain amount of meaning in that. Another one was gravity, it's not just a good idea, it's the law. And 
again, you sort of extract a little bit of meaning out of that. But I saw another bumper sticker uh, that really just stopped me in my tracks because it had a profound truth that I have reflected on ever since, and it's been some years since I saw it. You are not your story. And if you reflect on that for a moment, if we reflect, because we jolly well think we are our story. We've lived a lot of lives. We've spent a lot of time getting to where we are now. We do a lot of things that we think define who we are, and they don't. And how meditation truly transforms our life, our life, is it takes us out of what we think of as our life, and it takes us to what we truly are, who and what we truly are, which is far, far beyond all that. I had an experience long ago, and I'm going to single out Nalini here. This goes back into the early 1980s. She probably has never even heard me tell this story, but um, there was a, a blessing in it. Back in the early 80s, we had a center in Nevada City, and every so often there'd be a kirtan. And a few times she invited me to come to the kirtan, and she said, oh, and bring your guitar, sort of as an afterthought. And the first time this happened, I was too stupefied to know how to respond, so I probably said nothing at all. Because there were two problems with bring your guitar. Problem A was I had no guitar. Um, and which was not a, 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 an insurmountable problem because I'm sure I could have borrowed one, you know. I mean, there were, there were guitars around. It's not like, you know, we lived in a universe that had no guitars in it. It's just that I didn't own one. But the real problem was not that I didn't have the guitar. The problem was that I didn't know how to play a guitar. So even if I had a guitar, I really wasn't going to be of a whole lot of use at this kirtan. Yeah, I mean, I could bring the guitar, but, you know, it doesn't... There's no, no business results. I mean, there's just nothing happening there. Well, it, it happened another time, and this time I think I, you know, a month or two later, you know, oh, and bring your guitar. I, I was like, no, this time I was prepared, you know, I, but I don't have a guitar, and I, I don't know how to play guitar. Well, that didn't phase her one bit. Just, I mean, just, you know. So the third time, a little light went on. <laughs> inside. And as, I mean, the light might have gone on, but I mean, I actually, you know, tuned into the light later. And what the light said was, gosh, you know, if she thinks I can play a guitar, maybe I should think I could play a guitar. And maybe I should actually, like, do something about that. And so Biraj sold me his guitar, and I, you know, slowly took a couple, two, three lessons, and I, you know, lumped along and gradually learned to play the guitar. And a certain self-identification crept in. I, I never got to the point, even after all these years, I never got to the point of saying, I am a guitarist because I am not. <laughs> I do occasionally play a guitar, but that doesn't make me a guitarist. But at least the, the, the movement of energy came as, yes, you can do this. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to coin a phrase, Peter's not here to hear this, but... This is a little bit of the, the positive side of what I'm going to call the Patricia effect or the Patricia influence. 
you know, the, the poke that says stop. Well, there can also be a poke that says um, you could be that or you could do that. And we can do that for each other. And I, I'm going to segue into a thought that may seem like a complete non sequitur, but I want to um, sort of weave this in. We all do something, at least especially here at Ananda Village, but um, those of us who meditate, when we have the chance, we try to meditate together in a group. And there's something powerful that happens in that process. And this is the, the sort of bizarre segue. I imagine probably most people here have heard of cryptocurrencies and the, there's a term that underlies cryptocurrencies called blockchain. Blockchain is the technology. I see a few people nodding their heads and most everybody has a completely, I have no idea where this is going. And I'm not going to try to explain it in detail, first of all, because it would take too long, and second of all, because I wouldn't know what I was talking about. However, I do know this much, that a blockchain is a verifiable amount of work that has been done. It can be demonstrated and checked. And what happens, one of many, many things that happens when we go to a group meditation is we create connections. Connections happen to other people. Our support is felt and we feel other people's support. And we start to wear that. We start to own that on a certain level. We walk around with that. And every day when we meditate by ourselves or in a group, that little series of connections, that those little building blocks of consciousness start to create a life, start to create the building blocks of our consciousness and start to train us to think, oh, I guess I'm not just the body. I may think that I'm the body or I'm not just the personality, even though I'm reminded every time I get indignant or you know, feel fearful or uh, whatever that I get stuck in that. Meditation breath by breath. We practice Hong Saw. Shanti just mentioned, we're, we're repeating, I am spirit. That's what that vibration is trying to train us into. And we tune into the spiritual eye. There was, a, there was an automobile many years ago that was unusual and very far ahead of its time. It was built in the 1950s called the Tucker. And it was aerodynamic and it got good gas mileage. But the point of it for this in this context was it had a third eye. It had three headlights. In fact, they, they jokingly called the middle one the Cyclops <laughs> because it had this unusual function. Have you ever gone down the road, especially I noticed this on the winding river road that leads to Ananda, and it's nighttime. And you're making one of those pretty sharp turns. And, you know, if you're driving like I do sometimes, you're driving fairly vigorously, enthusiastically. <laughs> what you'll notice is that your headlights are pointing straight ahead, but the road is turning over here to the left. Well, the little Cyclops headlight in this car was designed to operate with the steering wheel. It was directed by the steering wheel to point where it was going. If you've ever 
stepped on someone's toe and had them go, watch where you're going. That's what that headlight did. It watched where you were going. And in our lives and in the practice of meditation, in the process of meditation, we learn to look where we're going. Because what we see, what we look at, what we give our attention to, assumes reality for us, assumes a greater and greater reality. It assumes a certain magnetism for us. And that magnetism can either pull us back into the indignation that Peter was talking about or the, you know, the fearfulness. Um, Melody spoke a little bit about this in reference to the first chakra security issues. It can pull us back into that sense of smallness or it can awaken us to our highest potential. And that's really what meditation is trying to do for us. It's trying to show us we are this highest reality. We are not the story that we came in with. We are built on bliss. This is one of these little gems that are so, so frequent in the autobiography of a yogi, and yet we can just breeze right by them. And I'm, I'm thinking that this may be one that many of us have not thought about or had not, have not sort of uh, chewed on a little bit. This happens in the resurrection of Rama, the, the raising Rama from the dead, the chapter. And Sri Yukteswar is expounding on the Bible, and he's talking about something that Christ said to his disciples. And it's the story of raising Lazarus from the dead, which is the segue for Master telling the story, or Sri Yukteswar, Master relating Sri Yukteswar telling the story of Rama getting raised from the dead. And so Sri Yukteswar quotes the Bible, and he quotes Christ saying that the Son of Man is going to be glorified by this uh, episode of Lazarus getting raised from the dead. And what Sri Yukteswar says is, in this passage, Jesus calls himself the Son of God. Though he was truly united with God, his reference here has a deep impersonal significance, my guru explained. The Son of God is the Christ or divine consciousness in man. No mortal can glorify God. The only honor that man can pay his creator is to seek him. Man cannot glorify an abstraction that he does not know. The glory or nimbus around the head of the saints is a symbolic witness of their capacity to render divine homage. And that little passage of man cannot glorify an abstraction that he does not know, that is the juncture between the process of meditation and the experience of meditation. We have to spend enough time gazing into the light, whether we see that light or not, listening for the sounds, whether we hear them or we don't, practicing Hong Sa, whether our mind wanders or, or not. If I had a nickel for every time someone had said to me, in any part of the world, oh, I can't meditate, my mind wanders. It's like, well, hello. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is why we practice. <laughs> but we can tend to think 
that way. I really appreciated something Anandi said uh, that we neither accept nor reject. So we sit to meditate. We don't, if we have a wonderful meditation, haha, pretty good. Ho ho, that's me, I'm doing that. If we have a lousy meditation, oof, I just can't meditate. We don't need to ride that roller coaster. We don't have to accept or reject. We simply say, I am engaged in the process, and it's God's meditation. It's God's life. It's Master's meditation. And we act as instruments for it, and the world is blessed. And we are blessed because we're the instruments of it. You know, it occurred to me the other night when we had the kirtan up there in the new temple. I don't know how many of us have ever had the chance to play as big an instrument as that temple is. You know, it really was an instrument, and we were all inside of that instrument, and it was phenomenal. It was incredible. So I, I will say to all of us here, go in that temple when the workers are not there and sing or chant home or do something because those walls are not going to stay open forever. And while they're open, we have access to all the wood that's just like a guitar, a cello, a violin, whatever, a harmonium that gets sweeter with the sound. Well, we are all of us instruments too. And let's be instruments for the meditation, both the process, but especially for the experience of. Because the experience of is not absolutely dependent on the practice. That experience can come to us at odd moments where we're not expecting it at all. Master can give us the experience of samadhi whenever, whenever we're ready for it, whenever the time is right. You know, Master tells us very colorfully in the autobiography that his mind was distributed like leaves in a storm just moments before he receives samadhi. I don't know if you've ever had a distributed like leaves in the storm kind of meditation before, but I've had a one or two, shall we say. And it gives me great hope to think that samadhi could be right just waiting. Let's approach the practice and the process with that point of view, because the experience is always waiting for us. Let's close now by standing and And let's send out to all the world the blessings of God's light, of God's love, of God's joy that we are made in the image of. Send out these blessings to all the world. Oh.